We all know what shame feels like. We all know what it means to be ashamed. A haircut that's gone wrong. An embarrassing family member. A big defeat for the football team that you support. A fail in a big exam or a driving test when you're expected to pass. It's a horrible place to be ashamed. And it's not an easy one to get out of. All you want to do is hide, to never face the world again. You see, Paul has been imprisoned. He's been beaten for what he believes and what he's spoken about. And yet he says, I am not ashamed. He's purposeful. I I am not ashamed. Of what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It leaves no disappointment. I don't want the earth to swallow me up. I don't want to hide. I'm not ashamed. I'm open and I'm out there and I'm not ashamed of this good news. How can Paul be so confident in the good news of Jesus amidst fierce opposition? How can he? And if he's so upbeat about the gospel, why doesn't he he state it in a positive sense? Surely Paul could have said something like, I'm immensely proud of this gospel. He could have started there, couldn't he, in these verses. Why does he say I'm not ashamed in the negative? I'm not ashamed. Instead of saying I'm immensely proud of this good news. Well, Paul is confident in the gospel, but he's also realistic. You see, the the pressure on Paul to deny the good news, the the pressure on the Roman Christians to to deny the good news or to go back into ways that the Jews had thought of what was right before God uh, would rescue them. There There was pressure to do that. The gospel has been the source of suffering for Paul in many ways. And Paul is saying, I'm confident in the gospel, but I'm realistic. I so easily could be ashamed. But I'm not. But I'm not. In our culture, where truth is so subjective... There feels like a, a, a label of shame on the one who claims to know what the truth is. How can you say that? The truth about morality or sexuality or humanity. Look, if, if you want to be faithful to the truth of the gospel, you will be called things. Perhaps most of all, you'd be called arrogant if you say you you know what the truth is. That there will always be a label of shame for Christians. What is the new way of shaming? We'll all find uh, ways that people try and shame you as a Christian in the workplace or at home or just with friends. And there's a huge temptation for you, if you're a Christian, to hide your faith. To be ashamed of your faith when someone asks you a question about it. And so Paul's words, I am not ashamed, aren't so much about defiance in the face of of shame, but more about the confidence he has as a follower of Jesus. He's not saying, hey, look at me. No shame, Paul. No, he's saying, I am confident in the gospel. 
I'm, I'm really confident in it. I, I don't want to hide away from it. I don't want the, the, the world, to, to, the earth to swallow me up and never to be seen again. I'm confident in it, but I'm realistic that there's a pressure to feel shame because it goes against the norm. It's counter-cultural. Paul says there's nothing to be ashamed about. The gospel is nothing to be ashamed about. And he goes on to help us see why. His second thing, the gospel is the power of God to save. You see that in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Why? Well, here's the answer. Because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is why Paul is not ashamed. Because he knows what kind of power the gospel has. What do you think of, what what do you think of when you hear the word power? What comes to mind? When we stood on the mountainside and watched that huge seeking helicopter, that was power. Recently, listening to a commentator on Tyson Fury. That's raw and ruthless power. What is the word that comes to your mind, the thought that comes to your mind when you think of power? See what Paul is describing as powerful? The good news of Jesus is powerful. That's why I'm not ashamed. Paul understands what the gospel is and the power that it holds. Maybe you've read the Bible from front to back. Maybe you've read big chunks of the Bible. Maybe you've not read much of the Bible at all. But throughout the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the writers of the Bible are helping us to understand who God is. And who God is, especially in light of his power to save, his power to rescue, all the way from Genesis 3. All the way through to the Gospels and then after the Gospels, the books like we're looking at, Romans. The authors of the Bible want to help us to see the the character of God, who this good God is. But they want us to see the power that he has to rescue, the power that he has to save. And not least through the plagues of Egypt. Do you remember them if you've read the Bible or even if you've seen the Prince of Egypt? And you remember Moses coming before Pharaoh and saying, you must let God's people go. They've been in slavery for so long. Now is the time. You will let them go. And Pharaoh says, no. So what does Moses do? Staff in the river and the river Nile turns to blood. And then plague after plague after plague. Horrible, horrible plagues. Why? What, what, what is the purpose of that? And as we read thousands of years later, we read to see the God who is powerful to save. The God who is powerful to rescue his people. Display after display after display of the powerful God in rescue. Here Paul is saying, look at the power of God in rescue. The word salvation. It means 
saved. When Paul wrote the word salvation back then in everyday language, this is what salvation meant. It meant recovery of health from life-threatening illness or rescue from dire peril. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's the dire peril. And in verse 18, and Sai will pick it up next week, here's exactly what the dire peril is. It is from God himself. So just work this out with me. Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's verse 16, verse 18 that we'll look at next week. We won't do that today, but let me just give you a sneak preview as to what Sai will be talking about. Verse 18 says this, you can read it if you've got your journals open. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See what Paul is saying? The power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, saves you from the wrath of God, from the anger of God against sin, against wrongdoing, against turning your back against the God who's created you. See, the gospel is the rescue mission of God from the wrath of God. I've got to get that as I understand Paul, otherwise I will never understand what Paul is writing about in Rome, in, in Romans, to the church in Rome. Power of God to save from the wrath of God. And over this next year, we're going to be digging deeper into that idea. And that might seem, might seem wild to some of you. So that's what Christianity is all about. Yeah. That's exactly right, that I am in a dire situation because I face God's wrath. And yet, God in his love, what did he do? He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that the wrath of God instead of being poured out on me for the wrong things that I've done is poured out on Jesus. That's it. What makes me a Christian when I became a Christian at the age of 22 at university, is simply that I trust in Jesus for saving me from the wrath of God, saving me from the punishment that I deserve. This is what we believe at Town Church. This is what marks us out. How is this salvation, this status of being saved, how is this rescue obtained? Well, Paul says it's not through any action of the recipient, It's not through obedience or service. It's not as a result of of hard work or following a rule book. See, Paul is quick to point out that it's for everyone who believes. See those words? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. And then he says first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Do you remember why? Why? From last week. Well, the gospel's got all the way to Rome. Paul hasn't got there. But the gospel has got all the way to Rome because Jewish converts, Jerusalem, and then further afield to all of Judea and Samaria, and off we go to Rome. They've taken the good news of Jesus to those in Rome. Gentiles, non-Jews. That's the word Gentiles. That's all that that means. Non-Jews. So now Paul is saying, look, it's for everyone. It came first to the Jew, of course, but then look, the gospel's gone out. And now it's for 
everyone who believes. Every single person who believes. Not a standard, not a a class idea, not if you're good in any kind of way. Not if you've followed any kind of moral code. Not if you live in a certain postcode area. No, the gospel is for all people who simply say, yes, I'm going to trust in Jesus. That he saved me from the wrath of God. Do you know for you that might be the first time you've heard a clear explanation of the Christian faith? Maybe. And you thought, I think Christianity is about that and about going to church and about following all the right things to do. And and it's not. Like, it's really not. Of course we go to church, but it's not going to church that makes you a Christian. It's not reading your Bible that makes you a Christian. It's about trusting in the good news of Jesus, the gospel. That has the power to save. And maybe you've been a Christian for years and years. Many of you have. Of course, as we celebrate five years of town church last Sunday, we've journeyed together over five years. And, and maybe for you, when you think about the gospel and you hear those words, it's powerful to save anyone and everyone who believes. Maybe you've just lost hope. Really? Look, do you know what? My parents... They still don't trust Jesus. Do you know my best friend? I think they used to, but they don't now. My child doesn't trust Jesus. I think these verses are great for us. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep offering this salvation out in conversation, inviting friends to church, to outreach events that Town Church puts on. Keep praying, keep sharing and leave God to do the rest. That's why we meet as church, as family, to remind ourselves that this is so important, that if you are a Christian, that that you keep it at the forefront of your mind to tell others, to pray for others. To invite others to come and hear of the good news of Jesus. Do not give up. Because the gospel's powerful. Not you. Not your ability. Not even your big prayers. How good a prayer you are. It's the gospel that's powerful. To save. We've done two. The gospel is nothing to be ashamed about. Nothing to be ashamed about. The gospel is the power of God to save. And third, the gospel is the power of God to keep. To keep. I know that many of us in the room are Christians. We trust simply in the good news of Jesus to save. That's what makes us a Christian. Where do we stand now? Well, look back, verse 7 and verse 8. Remember who Paul is writing to. We mentioned it just before. Simon mentioned it uh, last week. Verse 7 of chapter 1 says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Here are people, Christians who have been totally transformed by the power of God. They're Christians. So Paul writes to them, of course, to remind them that the good news of Jesus is something to pass on. uh, Something uh, to pray about others for. 
yes. But, but, but now Paul spends 16 chapters helping these Christians understand the power of the gospel for them as Christians living, 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 continuing, just living every day. It's the power of the gospel that enables them to continue. Look at these words, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What does Paul mean? For in the gospel... That has saved you, dear Roman Christian, Christian in Rome. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Here's the word righteous that Paul is saying, do you know before God, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're not righteous. Of course you're not right with God. It's your sin, it's your wrongdoing that keeps you apart from him. But now a righteousness has been revealed. This word righteous simply means you've been justified. It's a law court term. The verdict, declaration, when you stand in the dock and God, the all holy one, looks at you. And you know what he sees when he looks at you when you're a Christian? Yes, I'm guilty. Oh, yes, I've done many things wrong. Wouldn't it be horrible to, to look at the DVD of your life? It would be horrible for me to show you my DVD of life. I'd hate to do that. Talk about shame and being ashamed. Cool, that is one major thing that would bring deep shame on me if I held up the DVD and said, let's play this just for 10 minutes. I stand in the dock. And the righteous judge looks at me and he points to me and he says and he gives me a verdict after all the evidence has been brought up and the DVD of life has been shown. He brings the verdict and he says, Ian Lancaster, uh, not guilty. Here's the verdict, a righteousness, a righteousness of God is revealed. He can declare me righteous, not guilty because he points the finger at Jesus. And says, guilty, not righteous. In the gospel, God declares his acquittal of the guilty. That's me today, not guilty. I know from 22 to 45, 23 years, there have been so many things that I've done wrong, thought wrong, spoken wrongly, done things that I've even in the last 23 years, hate to show you. What's the verdict? Not guilty. God's righteous anger against any Christian has been directed upon his son, Jesus. Before I became a Christian, dealt with. The last 23 years, dealt with. The next 23 years, dealt with. On the basis of what? I trust in Jesus. The declaration is on me, not guilty. I go free. Jesus takes the punishment. If you're a Christian today, hold on to this wonderful truth. A righteousness has been revealed. And how do I continue as a Christian? Keep trusting that this is 
true. Isn't it horrible not knowing where you stand before those that you respect? Does she really love me? Does my teacher value my work? Does the coach think I'm any good to be part of the team? Does my line manager think I can do my job? Isn't it horrible not really knowing where you stand before those that you respect? Do you know where you stand before God? Do you know God's verdict on me every day is not guilty? His view of me never changes. His view of you never changes. Is this not the most liberating thought? I never have to second guess God. Never. He is for me. He is pleased with me because of Jesus. He sees me and accepts me not on my performance or lack of it. Not on how good I'm doing in my Bible reading or my church going. He's already cast the verdict. Not guilty. He says of me. It's the devil's job to, to kill, steal and destroy. And the devil whispers, you're not good enough. And the declaration says, no, 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 you're not guilty. Don't listen, says Paul. There's no room for comparison with others in the church. There's no room to go back and to dwell and feel condemnation. That's the devil's job. That's the devil's work. You have been made righteous. Continue trusting. That in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed. And it's through faith. From first, when I trusted, to last, as I keep trusting. It's really good to be at a funeral of an old dear who's trusted in Jesus for a long time. That's a funny thing to say, isn't it? I remember my nana's funeral. She trusted in Jesus when she was a girl. I remember I was young, but I was sad, of course, because I'd lost a, a grandparent, a nana, and I was close to her. I knew she prayed for me every day, every day. 11 o'clock in the morning, because she listened to uh, 100 Best Tunes then. And then she would get a list of grandchildren out to pray. And she told me. But it was a glorious moment. Because she'd lasted the course as she continued to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. That's the only reason why she continued. Was she just trusted. It wasn't that she trusted in the gospel to begin with. And then got super brainy about every book in the Bible. And that's what kept her. Kept her in God's eyes as being good. No, she just kept trusting in Jesus. That's it. As a church, we've got to keep trusting in Jesus. Of course, there's loads of ways to continue to do that. Loads of nuanced ways of how we continue to keep the gospel front and centre. Of, of course, we'll talk about them. We need to talk about them. But in these verses, it's quite simple and straightforward. A righteousness from God has been revealed in the gospel. And it's through faith first to begin with. And then... Last, we're going to sing and bring the little ones through. Let me, uh, let's just finish by, by asking you this question. If Town Church were a boat, what boat do you think Town Church would be? I think some of us might think that Town Church is this kind of a boat. A peddler, are they called pedlows? Yeah, look, that's Centre Park. Some of you might have been on one of those at Centre Parks on your holidays. 
lovely, maybe a peddler for one, or a couple, or even a, a lovely family meandering down the river, enjoying the views of the world, watching from a distance the struggle, struggles that other pedlo users uh, might be having. No, town church is not, is not a pedlo. It's simply not a pedlo. Is town church a cruise ship? Get on board. Come on. This is where we're going to head. Relax. Chill to the max. Decide which restaurant to eat in tonight. Um, which church gathering you might come to this month. Stay in your luxury, comfortable cabin until we get there. No. Town church isn't a comfortable cruise liner. See what town church is. It's a lifeboat. Do you know the sea is stormy? Do you know there'll be ups and downs in life? Don't we know it? Don't you know how hard life is? The devil will throw all in his way to stop the boat making its way through the stormy waters of life. But do you know the lifeboat is unsinkable? Why? God's the captain. It's his power to save. It's safe. But we're on a saving mission as well. Do you, do you, do you see as we... As we don't, we're not going to meander, but we're going to go through the ups and the downs and the rough ocean of life. And I'm on there. And you're on there if you remember a town church. And if you keep coming, come on, be a part of the lifeboat. But do you know what the lifeboat is all about? It, it's about rescue. It's about rescuing others who are on the sea in deep peril. See, we want to pull people aboard. We want to tell them that they're safe from the wrath of God through the righteousness of God met in Jesus. They simply have to trust in him and keep trusting, keep holding on to the lifeboat. First sermon at Town Church five years ago. Do you remember some of you that were here? That was it. We held that up and said, that's what we're all about. We're going in this direction. We're not a pedalo, just on your own, just cruising down life. You're not, you don't just think you're on a cruise liner. You joined and do what you want in your own cabin and relax. We're on rescue missions. We're going to stay the course because God's the captain. But we're on a rescue mission to pull people aboard and say, come on, let's do life together. We need each other and it's only by the power of the gospel. Let's sing about this wonderful truth uh, in the gospel. Uh, we're going to just remember that he's our redeemer.